Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. My guest today is award-winning director, producer, screenwriter, and author James Skurlock. A dropout from the University of Pennsylvania, where he majored in finance at the Wharton School, he's proven nonetheless adept in the business world, opening four restaurants while in college, and then moving to Dallas, where he published a successful investing newsletter on what else restaurant investing. In 2002, he moved to L.A. to pursue a career in filmmaking. After two successful short films, he made it big with his first feature-length documentary, the critically acclaimed Maxed Out, Hard Times, Easy Credit, and the Era of Predatory Lending. James also wrote a book based on the film, published through a division of Simon & Schuster, in time for release with the global distribution of the film in 2006. James was also the guest speaker at the recent Debt Symposium, sponsored by the ABI and hosted at the University of Illinois College of Law, where we held a special screening of the film for the university community. The film and the book present a devastating look at the abusive practices in the credit card industry, using interviews with creditors, debtors, academics, and others to illustrate the story to great effect. The aim is to heighten awareness of how credit and lending issues affect not just society in general, but real people and their families. Foreclosures, repossessions, and bankruptcies, if you're fortunate, the film also recounts at least three suicides attributable to the stress of living under a mountain of debt. Skurlock's journey inside American debt reveals a kind of Dante's Inferno, featuring aggressive tactics, deliberate deception, relentless marketing, poor judgment, scam artists, and victims in equal parts. At the bottom of the inferno are debt collectors, payday lenders, corporate lobbyists, and Washington politicians who come under withering scrutiny. It's a powerful work, which will provoke plenty of emotions from frustration and anger to sorrow and pity. I've seen it several times on cable television and never failed to have a reaction to it. So, James, first, welcome to our podcast, and thanks for the film. Thanks, Sam. Well, first, uh, tell us the story of how and why you decided to investigate this area. Did you uh, get socked for an unfair $39 late fee on a credit card for being one day late or or what? No, I didn't, and I didn't finance it on my credit card either. Um, But, uh, you know, initially I I wanted to just do the biggest story I could. This was my first feature documentary, so, you know, I was really looking to go go broad. And uh, my first thought was to do a film on why Americans are so fat, and uh, Morgan Spurlock beat me to it with supersize me. So the the other subject that I, I could see doing was why Americans can't get out of debt, which is actually a bigger topic, and every year the New Year's resolutions are get out of debt and lose weight, and every year, of course, we get bigger and we get poorer. So there's a built-in contradiction there that I wanted to uh, take a look at, and I originally thought it would be kind of a romp, I think a lot like supersize me as, uh, and the conventional wisdom has always been that if you're in trouble, if you declare bankruptcy, it's your fault and you've done something stupid or uh, you've been greedy or, you know, uh, whatnot. So making it was a real revelation for me. I'll bet. Uh, one of the things I think we all had uh, dr- driven home to us at the debt symposium was that we are a credit-driven society and economy, the same 
consumer spending that drives and sustains the U.S. economy also tends to add to the household debt burden that makes families so vulnerable when bad things happen to good people. But isn't it also true that our attitudes toward debt have changed generationally? We are seemingly much more comfortable with debt than our Depression-era parents and grandparents, people who paid cash for everything, didn't spend what they didn't have, and who saved for special occasions using devices that no longer exist, like Christmas clubs and the like. How is it uh, that some Americans are able to manage uh, their use of credit and others are not? Well, you know, what you just said is is true, but there's a reason that those depression babies had such an aversion to debt, and that's because we had the Roaring Twenties uh, when people were just as comfortable, if not more, with credit and got in over their heads. And the banks, you know, of course, were, were instigating that, that thing, too, very much like the situation we're in today, and the banks, uh, uh, you know, got into huge trouble uh, themselves and had to be bailed out. You know, in this country, we've gone through cycles, um, and it is generational, I guess, but you know, George Washington was a speculator. Thomas Jefferson was in debt all of his life. Uh, several states, including Virginia and Texas, were originally conceived as debtors' colonies. You know, we're a nation of, of risk takers and a nation that uh, that has thrived on undead and has lived through a lot of panics and a lot of uh, the fallout from you know from taking on debt and being comfortable with it. So, you know, how do some people manage it while well others don't? I mean, some of that is just luck. Some people just you know, end up with a great job or end up, uh, you know, making enough money to cover it. Some people learn from their mistakes. Some people are indoctrinated by their Depression-era uh, grandparents or parents to, you know, to avoid debt like the plague. Uh, the trouble is, and, and Bank of America just released a, a really scary uh, study of their own customers, that people are relying on things like credit cards, which are short-term high-interest, you know, payment methods to cover things like, prescription drugs, groceries, <laughs> you know, college education, uh, health care. I mean, things that are uh, taxes, things that are um, necessities, things that you can't not pay for. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's getting more and more difficult for the average American to avoid using uh, not only credit, but high-interest, short-term uh, credit to, to just get by. What... Uh... What surprised you most in the in the research for the for the film and the book? The book goes into a lot more detail, obviously, than you can in the movie. But I imagine there were there were many surprises that you uh, that were revealed along the way. Yeah, I, I guess the biggest surprise to me was what an emotional topic this is. Uh, everyone who we talked to who had been a victim of predatory lending, for example, uh, had considered suicide. Uh, to the point where they could tell you how they would do it, you know. And we ran into several people who had committed suicide. Uh, right. That shocked me. And yet when I stepped back and thought about it, it, it made a lot of sense. Because if you get to the end of the line financially, and if someone took away your wallet, and then you had these debt collectors calling you day in, day out with all this information they have on you. I mean, they have an incredible amount of information on you. And they, they have a lot of leeway uh, in terms of what they can do, calling your neighbors, calling your relatives. Uh, you know, threatening you with all sorts of things. Um, and there's so much shame around this subject and so many people thinking that they're the only ones uh, who've had trouble. And bankruptcy itself, as you're well aware, is, is, is a declaration of failure in our culture. Um, and, and people really 
have a difficult time believing that they failed or, or announcing to the world that they failed that publicly. So I was really shocked by by how deep this ran uh, that I shouldn't have been. Uh, clearly, um, the film uh, vividly uh, portrays a number of people who are clearly uh, victims um, of the debt system. Um, but is every is every borrower a victim? All the people that you uh, encountered, the, the ones who perhaps didn't make it uh, past the, the cutting room floor, are they all victims? Is every lender a predator? Well, that's a, that's a philosophical question. You know, people have gotten convinced by the banks, by all of this marketing, that debt is good. Uh, if, if people are paying for their groceries and their, and their prescription drugs and health care, and college educations and textbooks and, you know, everything else for their credit card, you can go back and, and find the advertisements that American Express and MasterCard and Visa have been running for years telling them to do just that. Uh, you know, there's advertisements telling people that mortgages will make them richer. Uh, there's been billions and billions of dollars spent convincing people that debt is, you know, is a good thing and debt will make them, you know, make them wealthier, make their lifestyles better. Uh, so, you know, I, I entirely blame the, the financial industry uh, for that. That being said, there are people definitely who speculated uh, on homes, speculated uh, on other things, sometimes making films with their credit cards, etc. You know, when you sit back and you think, well, they really should have known, uh, should have known better. But traditionally, the role of the bank has been to regulate that and to moderate that. You know, and to make sure that if someone borrowed that money, they could really afford to pay it back. Uh, we had. A couple of years ago, when the film was just coming out, the Federal Reserve issuing a directive to banks saying, you need to verify that your customers can pay their loans back. Well, that's totally absurd. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, that's exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Um, so people got caught up in that. And, and the complexity of a credit card statement or a credit card uh, agreement, a mortgage agreement, you know, we, we talked to a Harvard law professor who teaches contracts who can't make sense of her, her credit card uh, agreement. Um, the mortgages have gotten so complex now with variable rates and, you know, bells and whistles and, and time bombs and mines and everything. You know, people just don't understand what they're being sold anymore, and I don't blame them for that. But people still have the ability mm -hmm. to say no. Uh, the Statistically, we know that uh, for every 250 uh, pre-approved uh, solicitations uh, that go in the mail, uh, 249 uh, uh, are not responded to. They're thrown out. They are in my house. I'm sure in yours too. Right. Um, but of course, then there is that you know that one that gets opened, and depending on what's going on in that person's uh, life, they they may find some appeal in what's inside. Most people, um, statistically at least have the ability to, to say no. So how do we account for then this, uh, this kind of disparity between, you know, those who, you know, understand, as, as you do, as I do, as many do, um, that, you know, credit is a, a, a tool to be, you know, used and can be used to great effect. Um, but but, uh, but you, you do have the ability to say no. Well, sure. You know, most people don't, don't declare bankruptcy. Uh, either, um, but if you look at 
the studies that have been done, and, and Elizabeth Warren has, has done a lot of this work. I know there's, there's been others as well. Uh, what pushes people off the edge tends to be an event like a divorce or a loss of a job or a health care emergency. Uh, so if you, you know, if you, if you look at it from, from that uh, perspective, uh, it's people who, who suffered an event. Maybe they, it was bad luck or maybe they screwed up, uh, but, but they suffered something that they just couldn't uh, get out of. And they probably headed into it with, with so much debt already that they were living right there. Uh, on the edge, and I think that's actually the bigger problem is that so many Americans are living right there financially on the edge, and I think the reason for that is that their incomes just haven't kept up with uh, expenses such as health care, such as housing, uh, such as education, um, and again, they're using short-term high-interest uh, debt to fill the gap, and, and that, that debt can grow very, very, very quickly. Right. Clearly not sustainable. Uh, consumer education, uh, mm-hmm. particularly of young people exposed to credit offerings at a younger age than ever before. I have a college-age daughter who uh, uh, knows better uh, than, to, than to take these offers, but, but many don't. Uh, and, and this kind of education is held out by, by many as a possible antidote to, for some of the worst of the abuses uh, it, it seems like it might at least be as valuable to your future as learning how to put on a condom in a public school health class. Uh, uh, what do you think? I think that's absolutely true. You know, uh, this Bank of America study they just did found that over 25% of uh, college students are paying for their textbooks with their credit card. Um, so, you know, a lot of Kids are being indoctrinated to using credit cards uh, from from college on, sometimes even even earlier. And uh, if if they can be educated in terms of, of how that interest you know accumulates or, or how the industry really works and uh, and all that, I think that's great. But again, if a if a Harvard Law School contracts professor can't make sense of her credit card agreement, it's going to be pretty hard to teach the rest of us you know how it how it really works. And unfortunately, these credit card companies and banks have gotten very, very good at devising uh, ways to zing us and to make the cost of their product much more expensive without us realizing it. Have you ever paid a late fee? Yeah. You know, very <laughs> angry. I've, and I've dealt with double-cycle billing and, uh-huh. you know, all of these other very nefarious uh, practices. And, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people who've dealt with the same uh, with the same things, and we're all rich and poor alike. I mean, we're, we're all uh, getting, uh, you know, getting uh, dinged by um, by these companies. They've got PhDs figuring out how to how to wring more money out of us uh, every day, and it's really quite, um, you know, quite shocking and disappointing if if you were brought up to think that the bank was the ivory tower of respectability and um, caution is just not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not the Bailey building and loan. Uh, no, you know, kids, kids if college students can be taught one thing, it's that they are a profit center uh, for these companies. They are not a value customer. They're not a preferred customer. If they get a credit card offer that says they've graduated, they've been responsible, they've earned this, their platinum or gold or select or whatever, they should just uh, ignore it and take it with a grain of salt because uh, what the companies are looking at them as is a you know profit center and they've got a cradle to grave strategy 
had to sell them all kinds of financial products and essentially keep them in debt for their entire life. What do you think of just uh, um, focusing on the basics, especially for, again, that young audience of the impact of simply making the monthly minimum payment each month? They're thinking uh, that they're using credit responsibly. Right. Uh, what I'm keeping up with my payments, I make the minimum. Um, but that, in fact, that at that rate, considering that they're likely to make additional charges, you know, they're in a hole and still digging. Well, I'll tell you what I think the real travesty is, and I, I blame Susie Orman for this, is this idea that your credit score is the key to your financial future. You know, it's one of her, one of her big lines. Right. And people really believe that. People really think, well, if I've got a good credit rating, that means I'm doing well. And in fact, the Federal Reserve publishes a comic book called Once Upon a Dime uh, that teaches uh, high schoolers that it's a good thing to go out and borrow because that will develop your credit history, and then you can go out and buy a new car as quickly as possible. Well, you know, I mean, teaching kids to buy depreciating assets with credit when they make no money is, is a really dubious um, lesson. But, you know, we're being taught, don't look at our income, because the banks oftentimes aren't even looking at our income. I mean, right. credit card companies don't look at your income at all. It turns out mortgage right. companies haven't even been looking at our income right. all the time. Uh, don't look at that. Don't look at your assets. Don't look at, you know, the uh, sustainability of your job or, or any of the other things that a rational person would look at in determining their financial health. Just look at this three-digit score that someone computed secretly using some sort of formula that you're not privy to uh, based on information that uh, is oftentimes incorrect. So, you know, we've gotten this idea in our heads that, as long as we have a 700 or 750 or 675 or whatever the magic number is, FICO score, you know, we're okay. And um, I've had people come up to me after watching the film saying, there's one woman in particular who said, uh, you know, I came here because my bankruptcy attorney suggested I should see this film and I have perfect credit. And just still in disbelief, like how could it be that these companies love me and I have great credit and yet I'm going broke? You know, it's it's uh, there's a huge disconnect. Right, right. Um, yeah, she comes under particularly uh, uh, close scrutiny in the uh, in the film right. and in the book. What what is uh, does she have some uh, some deal with people that produce the score numbers? And what, well, she what does. Yeah, she's got she's got several deals. I think the 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 worst are probably her deals with Cadillac uh, and with. Um, uh, a cruise line where she sells Cadillac leases and, and uh, uh, cruises, uh, but she has a deal with FICO, with Fair Isaac Corporation, which manufactures the, the credit scores that most companies use, uh, the FICO score. And uh, it's a product called MyFICO, and you can go on her website, and she'll sell it to you. And it's, you know, it's one of these credit kits that supposedly mm. protects your uh, financial future. Well, you know, actually what protects your financial future is having real assets, you know, it's having little or no debt, and having a sustainable income and, and, and a sustainable lifestyle. Um, so this idea that we can just buy a kit from Susie Orman that keeps the score at a magic number is just totally uh, ludicrous. Um, and yet people are paying so much attention to this number. They're doing things that don't make any sense, like these high school kids being taught by the Federal Reserve to borrow money because it will help their credit score. You know, are people not paying off credit card balances because, you know, they've heard that, 
if you you know if you cancel a card or if you uh, pay it off to zero, that's a negative impact. You know, all of this this stuff people are doing to protect that number instead of protecting their their financial future. But well, again, it's all it's all under the guise that debt is good. You know, borrowing money is a good thing. You know, having a mortgage is a great thing. Uh, using a credit card is a great thing. Um, on and on and on and on. Refinancing is a great thing because you're releasing the hidden value of your home. I and mean, well, what a great thing to release hidden value. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's all um, it's all geared to selling people more of this product, which is a debt and which is very very expensive and usually much more expensive. I found than advertising. Well, in a growing economy where home values are appreciating and people are using homes as essentially ATM machines, um, uh, you know, there are sort of no worries. Uh, but Although when I things turn that. the other way. I mean, I, I would debate that with you because uh, one thing that a lot of people bought into, and there were people getting in trouble when home prices were still going up, is they thought that if they could, couldn't afford a house, you know, if it was real stretch to get that house now, the fact that the house would go up in volume or go up in in in, uh, in price would, would sort of bail them out. But if you couldn't right. afford the house at four hundred thousand dollars and the house is suddenly worth on paper six hundred thousand dollars, you still can't afford it. You're still making the same payment. And if you're refinancing to make the payment, you're just increasing your debt and increasing the payment. It's just a you know it's a it's a never-ending cycle. Um, but people really bought into that, and I don't know whether it was. You know, like the tech boom, it was people worrying that their neighbors were getting rich and they weren't, or it was all these mortgage brokers and banks selling these products, convincing people they were going to become millionaires by flipping their homes. Uh, like in Vegas, we met a realtor who was, who was on the cutting edge of that a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people really got convinced that mortgages could make them rich. Not exactly. Not exactly. Okay, so so what's the what's the James Skurlock, um recipe for uh, avoidance? If you had to talk to a group of, I know you speak a lot on college campuses right. uh, for screenings of screenings of the film. What is you know what's the, what's the message? It's okay to own a credit card, uh, but not okay to revolve. Uh, what, what do you what do you tell folks? Well, you know, I don't consider myself an expert, um, and the, you know the experts who who um, I do trust, who, who make sense to me, will tell you if you want to stay out of bankruptcy court, don't get sick, don't lose your job, you know, don't get divorced, maybe don't go to college, uh, you know. So that's that's a pretty depressing, a uh, pretty bleak um, set of <laughs> set of um, mm-hmm. uh, rules or, or medicine uh, to live by. But y- you know. It's 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 common sense uh, to live within your means, and unfortunately, the the banking industry and the credit card uh, industry are convincing people day in and day out that getting in debt is a is a wonderful thing, and and, and having a high FICO score is going to uh, protect them against any sort of trouble. And and people have to realize that that's not true. You know, young people are being indoctrinated in that. Older people who trusted the bank to be a very different animal than it is today are getting in trouble because they think the banks are still rationing credit. You know, the banks are still only going to loan them money if they can afford to pay it back. Uh, and people just have to realize that the industry has, has totally changed. From your study of the industry, including your sense of the uh, political realities here in Washington where I am, 
what do you think is the next chapter or two in this story? Is there a is there a solution? You know, I don't think there. You know, I think politics is part of it. I think that that these these companies have to be regulated again. And, and the film came out last March. There were hearings uh, for the first time in a very long time of the, mm-hmm. of the credit card industry. There were recently some hearings. I think the Fed has announced that they're that they're coming down right. on the credit card companies. Um, but you know, so far there hasn't been any meaningful legislation. And I, I know that the financial industry is a big contributor uh, to to these campaigns, but I think even more so, our economy depends so much on financing. And there's so many big companies like GM, GE, uh, Target stores even, where they're making a majority or the fastest growing part of their profits by financing things uh, rather than manufacturing them or, or even mm-hmm. selling them, you know, the first time around. So I know politicians are very, very scared of doing anything that might turn off that spigot. You know, you look at uh, what what's being proposed, what's been accepted as the solution to this credit crisis, and it's two things. It's stimulus checks, which we're borrowing. Right. So, that, so they won't bounce. We brought back the one-year Treasury bill to pay for these stimulus checks. Uh, and the other is uh, um, increasing the limits on federally guaranteed mortgages. You know, so we, we have politically said, okay, the answer to this crisis, the only answer on, on which we can get consensus is by getting people to borrow more and to spend more by borrowing, you know, ourselves, by the government borrowing more, uh, which to me is, is incredibly depressing. Just more of the same, essentially. Yeah, it's more of the same. I mean, this this idea that you can uh, get out of a debt crisis by borrowing more, it, it's so fundamentally wrong, so fundamentally flawed. Uh, you know, we're just surfing like the worst subprime debtor uh, out there, just sort of, you know, going from one credit card uh, to another to keep, keep the music playing. And uh, that's not sustainable. This is depressing. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. What's the next film going to be? Something more lighthearted, I hope. Well, kind of. The next film is uh, about a guy named Larry Hilblum who founded uh, DHL, which was the fastest-growing global company for uh, for a long time. It may still be in terms of uh, physical presence, not like Google or Yahoo. Um, but uh, Hilblum was a very colorful guy and uh, led a very colorful life and uh, fought the U.S. government over uh, over a number of things, from the postal monopoly to how we treat our colonies in the Western Pacific and uh, disappeared in a plane crash about 10 years ago. So I'm writing a biography of, of Hillblum. Wow. Well, we wish you good luck uh, with you. that project, to be sure. Uh, we're about out of time for today, but we want to thank our guest, James Skurlock, producer and director of Maxed Out, which is available at uh, Netflix and Blockbuster and Barnes and & Noble and Amazon.com any place where uh, good DVDs uh, are available. And uh, we urge you to check it out if you haven't seen it uh, on Showtime or any of the other places um, where it has appeared. Uh, And we thank our audience for listening. You can see the full menu of more than 50 podcasts with interesting figures in the world of insolvency and bankruptcy and related areas at our homepage, which is www.abiworld.org. Until next time for ABI Podcast then, this is Sam Giordano saying good day.